about 11 or half past 11 that night. I had to fight with him about 2 o'clock in the afternoon around that time. So by the time I've gone to the box, my eyes, as long as it's swollen, shut, it's like a split tomato. Now, you can see all the flesh of the tomato. You can see all the flesh of my eye. And I was sitting there, and Pip was her name, was a nurse. She came, came in, and she's standing behind all this French, this Roman uh, legion of formation of three, two, and one. And she goes, Kevin, it's Pip here. She goes, give him something to cover himself up with. And there we go. And she goes, I said, all right, Pip. She goes, get out of the way. And she goes, all right, Kevin. I'm all right, thank you, Pip. And they wouldn't turn the light on in the strip cell, although there was a perspex glass roof to it where psychologists could walk around there and write reports on you like an animal in a cage. So she's sewing me up under a torch because they didn't want to turn the light on to give me an advantage or, or some type of ad not advantage, but um, you can see a bit more, in the, you know, uh, not advantage, don't know what the correct word is, but nonetheless, they wouldn't turn it on because it would help me. And they sewed me up under torch and she stuck the needle in with no anaesthetic, nothing. And I remember nearly passing out thinking, my God, this is hurting me. You're going into raw flesh, sewing it up, eight or nine hours later. Sewed it up, I'm sweating, nearly passed out. She goes, I'm ever so sorry, Kevin, I've got to do it again, it's not straight. And she weren't doing it to punish me because Pip was a sweet little lady. And she did it again. And it reminded me of the film like Rambo. Except I did nearly myself. It was so painful. And uh, that was in the in the strip cell. So violence of two different sorts. Sewing me up without an anaesthetic. It weren't Pip's decision. We should have had to inject me in there. And they already had a needle in there, which I didn't want in the first place because that's dangerous. So no, you sew them up without a needle without having another needle in his face that he could grab. And uh, they wouldn't mind a little curly one like that. All right, I'm here with Kevin Lane, part two. You saw us do his life story, and he's a master storyteller. It was a really gripping account, decades in the UK prison system. We've also seen him recently on Banged Up on Channel 4. He was an absolute star. He was in the trailer getting the phone out of his keister. <laughs> and, um, we've got an event coming up. Cambridge Country Club, Feb 23rd. Kevin and his mates are going to be taking to the stage. Link is in the description box. Please come along. There's going to be loads of us there. It's going to be an amazing night. So today we're going to follow up with this part two. And the structure is... Kevin's going to go over his prison years again, but he's going to tell us about the most insane stories, the beefs, the fights, some of the UK's most dangerous prisoners. So sit tight for the next couple of hours, and huge thank you for coming back on, Kevin. Uh, thank you, because it's not normally something I do, is it? This is a first for me in that I'm just talking about prison violence. I've spoken about prison violence that I've been party to in prison myself or things that have happened. I never just selectively that topic. And it's a large topic out there. People are just so amazed by what goes on in there. So um, I'm not glorifying it, but it's a topic where people have an interest. So, of course, I'm going to discuss it probably on this only occasion. And we do this to scare the living daylights out of young people in the hope they won't get involved in drugs and crime and end up in prison.
absolutely because when it happens in the prison even if you've not been party to that but you're aware of it it turns my gut a lot of the times and uh, you wouldn't want to be party to it i can assure you or live in that in that in that house where it's taking place and it's a large house with a lot of people let's just set the table then for some people who've not seen part one perhaps i'll just go over a little bit of your story so how old are you when you first went into the prison system 22 and that was a two-year stretch for kidnapping and then your next long stretch what year was that when you went in 1995. And you served how long? I served in total for that nearly 24 years. But I served 20 years in one go on that one, and then I was released and recalled twice. So on that first one then, going in as a young person, what did that feel like? Were you intimidated or did you know people? Was it natural to you? Well, I went in, We got. I got arrested for a kidnapping, which I've spoken about at length, uh, and, and I, the gentleman nearly died. We could have died. Um, but so I went into prison for committing an atrocious act on somebody. Um, but I was not a fright. I went in with my best friend, Marcus Lemaire, and he's done Borstal. He's seen some stuff in there and tough, toughness in Borstals, aren't they? So he was aware of what to expect. And he said to me, you can't behave out here like you behave in there, Kevin. I went, you want to fucking behave how I'm going to behave outside or inside. Um, and which I did all the way through my sentences, right the way through for the murder, which may be what set me aside uh, in the eyes of the, the, the screws and a lot of the cons as well. So I did see a lot of violence and I was party to it as well. All right, so, you know, he's saying you've got to behave in a certain way. Take us through that first day. I smile because I believe in the old school morals. So I'm thinking the old school ways is you leave everything for the person, people behind. Or you're going, whatever you've got, you leave. I've gone in with this kidnapping. It said uh, uh, security boss Kevin Lane. I had a security company. I had 120 blokes working for me, nightclubs and pubs. I've gone into the Nick as a security boss at a young age, and the big headlines are there. So when I've gone into the Nick, they've got two holding tanks, and I've gone into a holding tank. I'm sitting with my best mate, and this geezer's come in. He starts skinning up. I didn't puff, but my mate did, and other people did. And I asked him, I said, ain't all right, mate. I said, you going home? He went, yeah. I said, ain't you meant to leave that for the people behind? He went, yeah, but I ain't. I'm taking it home with me. And he got up and he walked out of the holding tank and he went into the next tank, right? I looked at my best mate and he's looking at me and he's going, Kevin, no, like that, that. Anyway, I'm out of the traps. I've gone straight into the next fucking cell. Excuse my French. So I've gone into the next cell and uh, I said, if you don't hand that puff over, you said, I'm going to hit you that many times, you think you're surrounded. Now, hand it over. <laughs> Overcome the puff, give it to him. He's left the prison. And as he's leaving the prison, we're in a holding tank on the on the ground floor. And he's shouting out, and I'll see you again, I'm going to do you, and all the rest of it. I think about 17 days, no, it's a very short period of time after that, he came back into the prison. And within minutes of him coming back on the landing, he was in healthcare with 17 stitches in his head. With a table leg put straight over his head. And he was straight into uh, healthcare. It's quite a big stitch over your head, that is. Um, and then he went on the numbers. Private protection. So, all right. So you're, you're on your first day. You've told the story what happened from there. But what happened to you personally? Where did you go next after the holding cells? Went straight onto the landings. I was 
locked up with my best mate, never done bird before. Um, went into the cell, started teaching me backgammon and press-ups, and he was cheating all the time. <laughs> I worked out after a while that I was on the deck all the time, and I said, but you said I couldn't do that last time. <laughs> so, but in the meantime, I'm doing press-ups and such. Um, and it was an old Victorian prison, Reading. Back in the days, very tough, Nick, for, for uh, YPs. Um, and the violence I see in there was YP violence to begin with. Volatile. They was on the ones, uh, they'd be sweeping the floor. Next thing you know, the bell would go off. One of them's got a bucket around the head. Major gashes to his face. You get hit with a galvanised steel bucket, they're heavy. And let alone with water in. That is some punching power. It caves their faces in. Sometimes split to pieces, nose broken, knocked all their teeth out, broken their jaw, or mop. Levels, the degree in, in, in violence can change by hitting them with a mop or a mop bucket. But the kids ain't thinking about that at the time. They're just thinking, you've walked over my floor, wallop. Off goes the bell. And then, of course, it starts going up the ladder a little bit more, doesn't it? But at the time, it was things like that. I remember I was... Um, I came out of, I was on the bus. I'd been remanded. That's right. So I was going back into the prison and I had a suit on. Uh, like I've got now, I've always worn suits since I was young. My best mate Marcus had bowled a suit off me to go to court. <laughs> and I'm sitting there cuffed to this other, this uh, copper, right? And only a B cat, but I was still cuffed to him in the back of the, in back of the, the, the uh, bus. A screw, actually, a copper, and he's gone. You old Bill, mate, isn't you? When I ain't old Bill, mate, you got it completely wrong. He's, yeah, you're fucking old Bill. He's gone. You old Bill, he's gone, right? Sorry, you know, I apologise for the swear, and I'll get it in, in control now. <laughs> but he's gone. You're you're effing old Bill, and I said I ain't old Bill, mate. And I said when we get back to the nick, I said we'll sort it out, won't we? And you'll see, I ain't old Bill. So he's got taken one way, I've got taken another. Didn't get to see him. Obviously, the screws got on it. But I did get to see him when I came out of the upstairs toilets and it was slop out then where you got to go to the toilet in a bucket and put it down the sluice and that. So in the morning, the next morning, I've come out of the, the threes landing. I was up on the threes, which is... You used to have to get invited up onto the threes uh, and you had a pick of who could come up there and if you didn't belong up there, what are you doing up there? So I went straight in up on the threes anyway uh, with my best mate. Uh, and then, as I'm coming out, I've seen this geezer. Tyson. Oh, my God, you couldn't make up. So I've had a row. There we go. We're two Tysons. <laughs> oh, I've only just realised that. There we go. And one of them was called Tyson in Reading Prison. Big stocky fellow he was, hence they called him Tyson. And I said, you don't want to thought I was old Bill, didn't you? Right? Because I, I said to him I was going to punch his head in when I see him. It went off there and then. And I've hit him a few times. And we're on the third landing. That's what just made me think about that. And I've gone to put him over the, over the, onto the net. So you still had to fall two landings onto the bottom net. It would have hurt him. And I've not broke a few bones. <laughs> I had him right up over the bleeding, uh, the banister. He was just going, mate. And I remember uh, an old screw pulled me off and another con. Otherwise, he was a goner. Well, he was going to healthcare anyway. <laughs> and that was that he, he didn't come back I can assure you after that he had his life history flash through his his, his uh, 
face in in a few seconds. So that got that got stopped, and then he didn't want no trouble after that. But by that time, I've come in reception. I've that, sorted that problem out. The geezer's come back in. He's got put in a, in healthcare. This big heavy, he's been waiting on the landings, and then I get I go down to. It's all new to me the prison because I'm thinking, oh, these men carry on here like like they do on the streets. So there's there's you, this is where it all happens. You're not going to get nicked for it for fighting in prison. Well, you do get nicked for it, don't you? I mean, that's a fact. Um, I remember you didn't see much water and sugar at that time. It happened, but not a lot. Not as frequent as it does now, but except with oil. And some of the viewers are asking, they might ask this in the comments, what is this thing about water and sugar? Why put water and sugar together? It scars. It sticks to your face. Sugar sticks. It scars with a burning hot water. Yeah, it makes it go like, um, not like crackling, but it burns. It's like a, it's like a napalm of sorts. It causes a terrible dysfunct dis scar into your face. Because some of our guests have described it looks like people's faces are melting off. Yeah, it does. Yeah, very much so. It does with the napalm, but with that as well, it just goes inflammably red, uh, and it's it burns because of the sugar. Uh, I haven't seen that too much, to be fair. Thank, and I say thank God, but yeah, I haven't seen a lot of that. So, you've asserted yourself in the beginning. Are people thinking I'm not going to mess with him now, or is it not like that? Was it gladiator school? It was still pretty much gladiator school in that. I've gone in, I've weighed a couple of people in, um, straight away when they were big lumps. Uh, phew, you've got me on some stories here now. So <laughs> I thought you got to behave as you, you don't have it with glasses, you don't have it wrong. If there's a right stink about you, then you give it to them or they shouldn't be on the landing. So I've gone down to get my count in, it was like £2.50 a week wages, less than that. And two names come over the, 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 the board, over the counter. I'm with my best mate again, Mark, because he's going to be like that, shaking his head again. <laughs> I've took the two names and half ounce of backy because he smoked. I've given it to him, he's gone, Kevin, you can't start working for the screws, giving people good ideas. I said, but they're no good, ain't they, these cunts? I said, oh, God, these fellas are no good, aren't they? <laughs> and um, he's going, yeah, but don't, what they've done, they've been broken to the, the child box where people was leaving a Bamar's bar or something for the disabled kids, mm. and they broke in and started stealing it all. Mm. So men that have got nothing left in their canteen on very minimal wage and giving something to the disabled kids for Christmas and stuff, was broke into. That went down very badly. So this is at a time when prison violence was actually not only condoned but managed by the prison staff. So I, I didn't realise what I was doing at the time, and I never did it again after that uh, for the staff. Uh, it was more like for the, for the lads, really. So I came back from, I went to the God Squad with my mate Marcus. He'd get out of his cell of an evening for a cup of tea and biscuits, right, on a Monday evening. <laughs> so he went to God Squad to get out. And my best mate used to call the, uh, the vicar. He said, all right, he's called him the pine liquor. <laughs> Vic Priest, he used to call him. So we used to go down and see Vic Priest, have a cup of tea. And when I come back, you used to have, this is where caps in the old days, right down across your broom, like army boys they were. And you couldn't walk across the centre. And if you walked across the centre and not round it where it was marked, you'd get bent up and screamed at and uh, turned to the seg and nicked and probably a good hiding back in the days, proper good hiding. Phone downstairs and all sorts, depending on how 
Oh, your luck went. I've come back. I've got the finger like that. So I'll come off with this screw. He's taking me to a door. He's opening a door, opening a door. That's one of the fellas. I've gone in there, battered him, and he was screaming. Screaming in the sense where you wouldn't have thought that anybody in that prison, because you didn't hear one bell, anybody shout, nothing. It was like deathly silence in the church because they knew what was going on on the landings. And they knew if you got caught screaming and shouting by some of the screws there, you'd get a bit of an odd time from them. I then came out of his cell, went a bit further down. I was taken to the, the landings, one's recess in there. I've gone in there. There's a geezer having a, a, a from Kip on the bleeding on the toilet. But the door opened in. So as I've gone to the door, I've gone whack on his head, pulled it back, I've pulled it off. I left him in the toilet on the floor after having a good hiding for stealing the kids' sweets that are disabled. Um, to my understanding of prison violence, started very early in, and the understanding of if you do things to women or children, you got battered, and the staff was up for letting you batter in them. That's why they had the holding tanks where... The screws would give you the nod once to say he's no good, he's in for this or he's in for that. And they'd get done in reception. That all stops now. You get segregated when you come into prison. And pretty much nine out of ten times in high security, you're not putting a holding tank of others. You're putting a single cell. Well, I was always putting a single cell and I was segregated. Even if there was people sitting in, the t in, the, in like a holding tank. One tank that would have been. So, read in prison in 1992 for me... You was in there with burglars, your murderer here and there, old lifers that were murderers, and they could tell you about some of the old stories. But pretty much at that time, it was fisty cuffs, the odd slashing, not a lot of slashing then though, bit of water, but mainly grotesque violence with apparatus around them, like I say, a mop or, or stuff like that. Um, I remember when... I was Jim Audley. I was given the job with Farney Quinn. Farney Quinn was a boxer. We boxed for the home counties together, and I bumped into him in prison. Little flyweight he was anyway, but handy little fella. And there was two, this is so ironic, there was two Indians that came in. I can't, it's only just dawned on me. I was party to these two fellas, and I've never even told anybody this. It's only just dawned on me sitting here with you. So these two cab drivers who are of Indian descent and they're taking some schoolgirls in their cab and they're driven them to a park and they'd raped them. Raped them. Yeah. And uh, left them not in a very well state, left them for dead. They was in on the protection wing. And Franny was in there, and you used to have to hand the slip pimpsoles out of them days, you wore the prison stuff. So, we didn't talk to him. Franny's handing them their stuff, but he's, he's having a laugh and a crack and taking a mickey out of them to me, and I'm laughing. Anyway, next thing, bang, he's got a right smack in the back of his head by one of them. Unbelievable! But what's going on here? It taught me a lesson. And I'll tell you why. I come running out of 
out of the little uh, gym room that we was in, and it was like a sleeping butler. We put fruit stuff through a hatch. So I've gone running in in the survey, and I've it this. I've gone to it. This one of these fellows is about eighteen, nineteen stone. It was big lumps, but overweight. And he's got a big uh, water. Uh, it's got like a, you know, if you do your showers, a handle. It's got like a rubber thing. It was just one of them. And he's got it above his head. And he's leaning back. So I've gone back like that. And as he's gone to hit me, as if I'm further away, I've stepped forward and hit him. He's gone straight over on his backside. No sooner than that, one of the fellas out of the showers come running for me. So all paedophiles and sex offenders, I realised very quickly, stick together. I thought, oh my God, I said, I'm going to get knocked out and raped here. <laughs> and I remember hitting him, turning around, I had another one coming at me, I hit him, there was three people off the cuff, bang, 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 and they all went over. And then little Farney came in and he got stuck in. He ain't shy, I've got to tell you. There was about 11 of them or something in there now, and if Farney hadn't been with me, my name might have been Sheila right now. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, I know, I've never <coughs> forgot it, but it taught me they all stick together. It's like Shawshank, isn't it? I like Shawshank. To you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, oh, I'm in a fine mess here. I've got to tell you, Stanley. So, I remember when Mr. Burfitt, the screw, <laughs> he's going, Kevin, what's going on here when I come out of the, of the shells? I'm going to turn them shells on. And he went and turned the shells on, stayed in there, and let us get stuck into them. That's something else that happened when they, after he's punched Farley. So we got stuck into them. Gone on a visit sometime after. Screws know what's going on. You had an inward to the visits and you had an outward door. So I'm in one side. I think I was going in or coming out. Anyways, no, I'll tell you I was coming out because they brought these two Indian fellas again back into the same area where I was to have it with them again. <laughs> so they got another good idea, a pair of them. I was on my own, I'll tell you. That was a bit close. So that kicked off again there and then. Uh, they, the screws come running in, and like those, they went, it was all punched up and all things like that. I've gone into my visit after that row in, in going into the visit, and, and the staff gone, Yeah, no, I can have your visit. Split it up and said, hey, Go and have your visit now, Kevin. Unbelievable. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit like gladiators where it's controlled by the staff and they're letting you dish out the punishment and they're party to it. You'd have to be an animal not to want those predators to get some kind of convict justice. They have yeah. it coming. Far less in the prison system years ago than there is now, Sean. There's far more of them in the prison system now because they are protected. Mm. Um, that, that, that a shame. There was the fellow up in Whitemore that got done for killing the two young kids. What was his name? Oh. With him and his missus. And she's out now. What was his name? Um... Can't two young schoolgirls who had the Manchester tops mean, on. Yeah. Yeah, not Bamba, not Bamba, um, Bamba, sorry, weren't there. It was, um, not, it. anyway, my mate got canteen ban for coating him off out the window down at healthcare, just giving it to him verbally. Canteen ban. That's, That's how they're protect, protected now. Pathetic. Disgraceful. Yeah. So that type of violence in Reading in 1992, I was accustomed to. Was there, was there any situations in Reading whereby you thought they were going to get the better of you? Yeah, great big geezer. That big, you had to duck to come into Marcel. What was the beef over with him? He carried a... Well, let me tell you, he had a mattress rolled up under his arm. Yeah. One arm. That's how big he was. 
And that's all because I did myself. I've been banged up with my Cody. First time in no time I've ever been locked up with someone. And all my other time in my sentences have always, oh, quick, on my murder charge, banged up even in single cells on even a DCAT. But I just got my own cell that night. He'd got a cleaning cell. And he's putting this big fella in with me. And I said, he ain't coming in here. I said, I've just got a first cell. Put him in someone else or put him on a single cell. And he's gone to the screws. Don't worry about him. I'll deal with him. And stepped in. He went straight back out. A <laughs> 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 great pace of knots. <laughs> he went flying. <clears throat> I've come running out. He's out there and bleeding. Kicked off on the wing. All the staff come running down. And uh, I didn't get nicked, but he didn't come in with me. And you know, the next day he said, oh, he's apologised, and can we just get on? And I said, yeah, of course you can. I think he realised then that the game was up for him, and that I wasn't as easy pushover. But people would look at me and think, I was a college-looking boy from the countryside. Did not see what would erupt for me, like a Tasmanian devil type of situation, where you go, wallop, where did all that come from? At great speed, and I was pretty, pretty capable of looking after myself. Um... From just a light switch explosion. So I did, don't want to big myself up, but that's what it was like for me as a young kid, and I didn't really realise it at the time. And did you have a fitness routine in Reading Prison to keep yeah. you in, in prime shape? Oh, God. So I got the gym orderly job in there, and I used to go to the workers, and I got the job with a worker. Never forget it. If you was gym orderly, and you had to use the, the prison gym as well as an inmate, you had to attend at least one circuit a week in that gym for you to attend the gym normally. But as a, uh, a gym orderly, you had to lead every circuit that came in that door for that day. So your first circuit would be at 8 o'clock, your next one would be at 9.15, <laughs> 10.15, back to the wings. You've done three circuits in the morning, three in the afternoon at least. And that you, that's the same circuit. So some another class come in, you've done it with them, you've got to do it with the next person again. The fittest I've one of the fittest I've ever been. Your stamina must have been up here. Through the roof. But that, that led on for me late, later on in years in life when I went into prison for the murder. I used to train to fight multiple persons, namely the Mufti. So that one squad would come in to wear you down, then the next squad would come in. Or, or they'd have like a few of you teamed up, 11 of you, to, up 10 man up lock, and you'd be fighting with them and they'd be saying, stop, stop, stop. I've never heard that. Before we get to that stretch, were there anyone who came at you with weapons in Reading? No. Uh, yeah, a mop. Uh, a mop and a squidgy. Them I've, seen, two. I've seen people doing ninja moves with the mops and brooms and stuff in. Yeah, when they're flying around their head. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that above his head and he's aiming it at me. I can assure you, I thought you ain't hitting me with that, mate. Because the scenes are so high because people can't hang themselves. Yeah. Obviously, so people can realise you can throw them above your head. I'm not worrying about hitting the ceiling. <laughs> Did um, what about people that you were aware of while you were housed in Reading? Did you hear of anything really horrific happening to any of those people? Slash, there was a slashing when I was in there. Over what? Uh, drugs. It's always over drugs, pretty much. Yeah. The bad debt you That's... ain't paid. Uh, that was over. He got his completely face slashed. His face was flopping about. Like two bits of fish, wet fish, right through here. He went right through a whole side of his face there, and it was flapping, and the blood was 
pouring, spitting. It was. Was it, a, was it a double? I can't remember if it was a double, but I know it went right through. And you get a double, it's a terrible cut, isn't it? Because they can't sew that back together properly. It leaves a big scar. But that was horrendous. Blood. There was blood everywhere. Because it takes a while before they get the hand over it and all the rest of it and put something on it whilst there's a lot of screaming going on. That's the only slashing I see in there at that time. But I see a few stabbings. Were the guards attacked in there or did they attack anyone? Normally attacking other people. They had control of it then. They was known for giving beatings out. But Con still did attack them. Yeah. Um, but very, very rarely did a screw get attacked, as, considering to what they get attacked now. Mm. You attacked a screw back then, and still so much now, but not as much, and depending on what prison you're in. You either go into healthcare and you're standing there, or you're going to get a right beating in the, in the strip box, or the box, as they call it. You're going to get such a beating in there, and you're naked, and they'll come back and beat you again. Were you, were you sent to the punishment... Area in Reading, any any many times. Yeah, or? I hit a geezer in there. You hit a geezer. Yeah, I hit a geezer in there. What was that over? It was meant to be a grass. Mm. So I did hit him. Yeah, and I got caught for punching him. I got three days in the seg, which weren't bad, really. Mm. You know, three days in there. Thought I'd do my time in here, and I'll get out, and I can hit him again if he's still on the landing. <laughs> 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 so, how old were you when you got out of Reading? I got bail. After the police were caught out lying and writing down the descriptions wrong, and people saying it looks like him, but it's not him, they put it looks like him, it's him. So I got bail after six months. I spent a short period in there to begin with. Then I went back about 14 months later on a trial. The reason why it took so long was for different reasons, but I went back again, and then I got convicted, and I went to Bullingdon. So on the same sentence... Uh, 14 and a half months back in and I went in there. What was your first day like? Well, again, um, I went I went into a new prison this time. Six weeks old it was. So they were still setting it up. See, the cons have pretty much run out of gaff to a degree because they're helping the screws run it in the sense where they're looking for people to work in the prison. Only six weeks in, they was looking for new, new cons to do this or do that. You know, it's pretty easy. Well, they had paedophiles here on a spur, on a house block, and another spur here and another spur here. And the abuse and the torrent that was going on back and forward, so much, because you would never normally have them housed together in the same same house block. But where they was getting abuse out the window so much, one bloke set a fire to himself in his cell. That when I was there, and he was going up ten to the dozen, him. I could see his cell. And that, you know, to see him, and he, sl he slashed his throat and all. Sad, but sounds like he had it coming. Had it coming, slashed his throat, couldn't live with himself, and set fire to himself. So they, you know, they had to move them off pretty much, get that segregated, because you couldn't have one under the same house block. But in the same breath, that shows you how many of them was in there then, to have one spur in a house block, and one spur of 40, or if they'd doubled up, to, you know, might have been a lot more. But however... They didn't have a whole house blocks. One or like two house blocks out of four in a prison. Terrible. So I championed that course to see in them people uh, feared of coming into prison. Because the fear of coming into prison did, I think, had had an impact on people's thought pattern, I think. It frightened off some people that maybe would do it 
uh, he's more so because they they didn't have that fear, the fear of coming into prison, the, the stories of getting slashed or, or 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 sugar in your face or beatings by the staff, beating by the cons. You don't hear that so much no more. But it does happen, but not like it used to. It's all been industrialised. All right, so you're established now. You're in this second place. What was it called, this other one? Bullingdon. Bullingdon. And are you just getting into a routine there like you did at the previous one, Reading? Got into a routine there, and again, it was only open six weeks, but then about six weeks after me being in there, my father died, passed away, so they made me a D category to go to the prison. I owned my own house. Um, I had a biz- two businesses. I had two children. I wasn't a flight risk. I had very little left on parole, so I wasn't likely to run off. But I got all of that. So they decategorised me. I was on bail and all before. So everything stacked up to tick giving me a decategory to go to my father's funeral. So I went to my father's funeral, came back absolutely plastered. That carried me through the gate. I went into the back onto the landings um, after a few hours of sleeping in, in reception. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I've got some exciting news to announce. Michael Francis is coming back to tour the UK in 2024. The remade mentor, the Michael Francis story. Michael Francis, once named one of the 50 most significant mob bosses in the USA by Fortune magazine, and a former member of the notorious Colombo crime family, will take you deep into the world of organized crime, sharing captivating tales and insights into the mafia's past, present, and future. Join us for an unforgettable evening with Michael Francis, the original Goodfella as he exclusively sits down with myself, Sean Atwood. With me as the host, there's going to be a no-holes-barred exploration of Michael Francis's life, including his numerous arrests and jury trials that ultimately led to his pleading guilty to a federal racketeering charge, a 10-year prison sentence, and $15 million in restitution. You will have the unique opportunity to ask questions during an audience Q&A session, making this event a must-see for true crime enthusiasts and anyone curious about the underworld. Don't miss this explosive In Conversation with Michael Francis. Live on stage in the UK, this exclusive in-person event will be held in various locations in the UK, Ireland and Scotland. Link in the description box below this video if you want to grab yourself a ticket. Back to the podcast. Cheers. And they decategorized me, and because they decategorized me to go to my dad's funeral, I was then sent to a decategory open prison. And I landed there the first day I landed there. Now, people are meant to be behaving in the decat, Nick. You're meant to be not get caught fighting and all the rest of it. So I arrived in there on a Thursday, and it was in the summer, and I went out on the football pitch. And this is true, although uh, I don't really have anything to do with this person anymore different reasons Brian Hurl was there and uh, I had a run in with a, a pal called Benji he was about six foot blim Benji's about six 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 seven a big lad and all big bodybuilder now but big love ex-lifer uh, was chasing the ball I fell over chasing the ball and I went effing B I went he thought I was talking to him I was talking about my shoulder because I tore all the ligaments in it when I fell over so we stood up we had a set two that didn't go very well um, got split up. Uh, I don't think Benji expected a little lad like me to, to be able to be quite capable. Um, took him by surprise. He ended up on his on his back. I ended up on top of him. Got split up. I got sent to hospital because my arm 
like I started hurt it. I went to hospital. I went to the the little club at the hospital. Bought a load of bottles of pills. <laughs> I went back to the uh, the prison with a cab. Nipped through security because it was just dead. Here. You had to go to the house to report, but by then I was back. So I've gone back to the the dorm, and I remember the lad saying, "Listen, it's off. He's been up looking for you." He's obviously not going to let it go. He's not an idiot. And I went, no problem. So I got my arm uh, in all strapped up like this. And then I got it out of the strap. And Benji's come up to have another go. And he came in. We had another go. We ended up out the dorm on the penny outside. Um, he then got to hightail it back to his room because it's quite a kerfuffle <laughs> when two blokes are going at it. All right. And uh, wakes up the whole dorm as well as in the house. And there's, uh, the, the house was only outside of my window where the, the screws are. So he that was my first night in the bleeding, Nick. So I've gone back there. And then the next day they said, right, listen, call it a truce. I went, no, no problem. Not a truce, but listen, he's got he's just got to a D-cut. He's long-term. You just got here. And uh, just leave it at that. I went, you know what, no problem, right, but... You know, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I just arrived in a D-cat Nick, and I thought, my God, uh, is how I was meant to go on? And it did go on like that. I mean, I was handed a, a knife by Brian L. He said, right, it's going to go off. I said, I don't need that. I'll use my hands, give him the knife back. And then had to set to after. But that was into a D-cat prison, so already it's violence right the way through. Even though you're going home, and you're meant to be on, the, on your best behaviour, it shows it's still there. So you've touched on something that is a consequence for young people here as well. It's like the effects on your family members. Like my mum had to come 5,000 miles. She came and visited me, God bless her, in America. And just seeing her, you know, how a, a sunken face, what I'd done to her. You mentioned that your dad died while you were in prison. I can't imagine how that must have felt. I mean, was it expected or was it? I was told over the phone. You just told over the phone. Was he, he, was he a young man still at that? 47. 47. So then the worst of it was that they didn't have phones on the landings like they do now. And we used to have to make a phone call in, a, in, the, in the office attached to the, the free spurs, you know, in a T-shape. And you come out and there'd be an office in the bottom. So you'd go in there and book a call. So I got a phone call to the mother of my children at the time, Kim Purcell. And she, she realised I hadn't been told. And they'd phoned the prison twice for me to speak to my dad before he died. And they didn't jack it up, as in jack it up, get the call organised. So when I phoned up, and it was sometime a few days before my dad died that I got the call. And then Kim said, you don't know, do you? And I said, no, should we better sit down? Your dad passed away. But he was at his deathbed, saying, my boys, my boys, I want to speak to my boys. My other brothers was there, but I wasn't. So I never got to speak to my dad before he died. Dad was quite hard. I remember sitting in that cell, staring out the window, just looking. No TV, nothing like that. Just staring, thinking about the years. Very hard. In the aftermath of that, Kevin, how did that affect you psychologically? Well, I cried uh, eight and a half months later. And when I got home, I got parole. I, I did like 15 and a half months, something like that. I did out of 16, out of two, should I say, you only to do 16, unless you've got to do added days, but I did a, a two weeks parole. 
And I remember going home, I just bought a new house, so was living in the house, and uh, I was just sitting down there, and it all came over me, and I just tears started rolling down my face. I was upset, of course, when I was told in the prison, but not visibly to people. Very difficult. Do you think you contained it that, for that long because you were in shock for that long, or because you couldn't show weakness in prison? I think a bit, a bit of both, that you've been, been moulded in a manner where you've taken that many blows as a young kid, in terms of emotionally missing your father and things like that, and not seeing him when your mum and dad split up, to go into prison, and then being taken away from you again. It would have been taken away from me as a child, but to be taken away permanently was a bigger bang to me. And it did really hurt. And it just, I think the impact of that just came out of me all those months later. And for young people who get into crime and don't think about their family members, what do you say to them in the context of what you went through with your dad? Try, imagine sitting in a room with an empty chair opposite you and say, right, I just want to say a few things to my dad. Anything, and you watch what comes out. And then swap seats. I forget what the psychologist terminology for this is. I've done it. And then speak, pretend you're your dad, and there's a few things that you think that your dad might have wanted to say to you. Very powerful, because I tell you what, you go to prison and your dad dies, that's the only conversation you're going to have with your dad, because the things you wanted to say to him, you won't have got to say. And the, there's no going back once they're dead, son. Think about your actions and how long you're going to spend in prison, because you might be in there for 30 or 40 years. You won't be around when your dad dies, or m other members of your family, or children. Well said. And what was your family support like at that point in time? Were you getting visits? Yeah, I was really lucky. I mean, no problem with the visit side. I had uh, two beautiful uh, children. Yeah, I had a baby and a little three-year-old, uh, Aaron and Tommy. Kim visits, family, friends visit. There was no problem there. And then when I went to a DCAT, of course, um, that was even, visits were easy there. Nice visits, you could. I went home, I arrived there like I say on the Thursday. On the Sunday, I went straight across the field, arranged someone to pick me up, Sean Whedon, he's dead now, God rest his soul. And I went to Dave Wolf's christening. <laughs> and I went to a christening, sneaked out, sneaked back in without the prison, <laughs> oh, gone. <laughs> so that shows also how dangerous it could be because I remember thinking, if I wanted someone and they was in the DCAT, I'd go in and get them. Because I've come in and out of this place like no one can believe. I've had my pals in the same nick, bringing them in 20 bottles of vodka at a time, selling them for £20 a bottle. Every 14 days I had them. Chinese every week coming in. 60 quid's worth of Chinese over the field and more vodka. I was earning a fortune in there. But I was selling vodka in Chinese. Bloody mental. Tenner for the Chinese and then £20 of vodka. But um, I didn't need to, of course. However, this violent side of things can also show you that people can come into prison and shoot you and stab you if they wished and get out of it, which has happened since. So what was your life like between the two sentences? Go, I mean, going towards your big sentence? Quite problematic still. I got released, I was on bail. I had a few instances in pubs with people. Um, Again, is it because you, you had a baby face? Yeah, baby face. People thought that they could they look at you, they don't know you. They, they don't know what eruptions inside you, like a massive volcano. Just like, and they think, wow. And they think, bloody, they just don't expect it. It catches them off, off guard very quickly because it is like a light switch explosion, or it was back then. Uh, and it was quite serious and extreme and fast. So when that happened, apart from either knocked out or they were injured, um, 
after they think about it, they think, wow, where did that come from? I saw it in Arizona. There was um, a skinny kid and big, tough-looking guys would pick on him. And like lightning, phew, and it hit him so hard they pooed themselves. Shit himself or yeah. ended up with damage to their face, caved-in faces, broken jaws, straight over and all. Don't get, you haven't got to be big blokes to knock people over. You've got balance and speed and you can punch. They're going. Yeah, yeah. Even if you just hit them enough to knock them out and not forcefully bang them straight over, which is what I had then because I've been working since a child. I was in um, a bakery when I was 13 carrying 25 kilos bags of flour and I was 13 unloading them from the trucks and then I went to a chip shop carrying the same pretty much in 50 or 100 bags of potatoes and you're 13. So you get quite broad shoulders and you and you can, with that comes, uh, I could bang. So I could bang, they went to sleep or they got injured. So going in for the long stretch then, I imagine your psychology must have been very different because now you know how much time you're going in for a really big one and that's really affecting your thought processes versus going in on the shorter ones. It do, but I started to see the knife crime when I was in the, in the DCAT when I got sentenced to there. In that, uh, the couple of incidents that like I just said, there was uh, another one with a knife was involved. A uh, fella pulled a knife for me in, can in the canteen. In Over the, uh, what? In the dinner queue that happened. Um, not in the dinner queue, in the, in where we used to get a, not dinner queue, what do they call it, the dining hall. Uh, he was an Indian and something had happened and it was, he had, Brushed into me with his dinner and didn't even apologise. Said, "Oh, sorry, mate." He was just like, "Why not?" And said, where's your manners? And he said something. Uh, I've jumped up, hit him, split all his eye. He grabbed a knife. Uh, he got jumped on. Um, that was in the dining hall. Knife incident situation. I'd had another knife incident situation with Nobby Pearson. He's dead now. God rest his soul. And he was walking to... So this is where it escalated. You start to see the knife in crime. So I'm walking past the showers in flip-flops and a dressing gown. And it's the only time... that Well, I don't do it anymore that if I was in prison, I wore boxer shorts to the showers if I got flip-flops on. Because as I was going to the showers, there was a black lad called Toby. And I never forgot it. The first day I landed in the open, Nick, he walked straight to the front of the queue. And I went, there's an effing queue here, mate. And the fellow I was with gone, leave it, leave it. You've just got here, leave it, just got here. And I thought, well, I'm standing here. What gives him the right to push in front of me? Or the whole queue? So I thought, well, I'll shut my mouth, shut up, but I won't have it again. That's what I was like. So as I walked past the little recess where Nobby was in there washing his plates, this Toby's gone, get your gear and get out of my way, old man. I've reversed back up. What did you just say? Got in there, I had a wash bag under my arm. Next thing you know, I'm fighting in there naked. Scrapping with his gauge, he must have thought he's trying to shag me. <laughs> so I've ended up on, <laughs> I've ended up weighing him in and on top of him, giving it to him, and then come and got pulled off of him. So then I went to the shower anyway, gone back to my digs, and his pal come up now, and I forget where he was like light skinned, but he weren't white. He was like a Greek or Maltese or something like that. I can't remember where he's like Fergal Sharky, but a bit darker. He's coming, and I remember being on top of him on the floor again with a scalpel, and it was just above his face, and it was a scalpel, and uh, that got stopped, pulled off of him, 
he's got sent out the door. Uh, that one got asked to be left. And I was in a decap prison meant to be released into society. But that shows what type of violence is around Sean. Extreme violence, a scalpel above your face. He's holding me hand and I'm trying to get it in him. Because they were gonna, you know, or not they, but he, he had started on an old man. That was not my argument, but I said, what are you doing? Telling him to get his gear out his own way. And it went off. Dangerous places. And it's even with the staff, there was an SO there, kitchen SO or whatever he was, and he had been on report for verbal and abusing cons. As I've come past the servery to pick up, I said, can I have that? He went, no. Well, there's loads of bits there. Can I have a bit? We're like, he said, no, you ain't. So I just took it, all right? I said, that's what I've chosen. It was on my, that's what I've chosen. He's gone, I'll punch your effing face in. And I, I said, are you talking to me? It was a screw. So I walked back to where he was, put my dinner down on the servery, give him a left and a right, grabbed his face, put it in the, in the grub, <laughs> pulled it down, jumped up on the servery to go through, and I got pulled back through it. So at the time, and then I got then put in Grendon, which is a prison across the road. It was a, a therapeutic prison full of beasts and paedophiles you have to mix with. Really, really, really mental cases in there. Um, and I got confined to my quarters uh, after going over there in a cell. They confined me to my quarters because he threatened me. And that was it, confined to my quarters. And that, nothing happened there. But talking about that prison, Grendon, so you're seeing that extreme violence in a decap when you're going to be going home and everyone behaving themselves. Doesn't happen. Like I say, people have been shot in decap prisons now from people coming in outside. And I went over to Grendon and they call it uh, Terry Ellis did uh, uh, doing time with, um, with the beasts, I think it's time, doing beasts. time with the beasts. And great read, I read it, great read, but I wanted to know what actually took place in those, in the uh, gaff. And there's been so many deaths in there, inmate against inmate. And one of the years, uh, I think 1990, can't put my finger on the year, but anyway, I remember it happened. There was a rapist second time around in there, I mean, the most atrocious rapes. I mean, they're all terrible, but what he was doing was just terrible. He had his head jumped on that many times, all his brain matter came out. His head was squashed to bits, and the bloke kept jumping on it and jumping on it and jumping on it. Um, and they're in there for therapeutic reasons. And then there's been a couple of deaths in Grendon. It to be a therapeutic place to, to release you into society, but mixing people you shouldn't be mixing with, sitting there telling you about the crimes they've done. And if you've shown any animosity towards them, you got chucked out of the prison. I mean, that's disgraceful. Because I think it's pretty much anybody in their norm would think it's repulsive what you're talking about and not, not want to show that. But as a result of that, they've had two deaths there that I'm aware of. Extreme deaths, stabbings and all sorts. That wasn't where Robert Maudsley killed his, was it? Maudsley killed someone in... He cut their head off, didn't he? He's done two in one nick. Yeah. I don't know if it was in Grendon, was it? I don't know. Well, he took the fella's head off with a shovel as well. Um, might be, Sean, yeah. I was with uh, Bob. Was you? Yeah, I was with Bob in Whitemore in the cell next to me. How about that? He used to talk to me. Clever man. We just interviewed his psycho, uh, psychiatrist, Dr. Bob. Well, okay. Yeah. And what did they say? Dr. Bob was really making progress with Maudsley and they shut him down. They don't want him out, Bob. Yeah. Because they just think he'd kill again. But he only kills paedophiles and people like that. Yeah. Because he was abused as a child. Yeah. 
So they want to look at that, really, the deaths and the murders. So that one, when I was in Franklin, just going, so I've leaped from that type of crimes in as a young man, seeing the stabbings, sugar, once in a blue moon, literally. The the attackings were still pretty much where people had a one-to-one in them days. It wasn't like gang attacking people. Uh, if you had a, like me, me and uh, Benji, he didn't come for me with two or three of his pals. He come for me on his own afterwards. We had a set too and what happened happened and he went his way and I went my way the next day. It's long gone them days pretty much. So take us through it then slowly then how it, how it evolved. You've gone in on the big one and what was your first day like going in there? Your head must have been wrecked after you've been sentenced for such a long I was put time. into Bowmarsh SSU after being put into Woody Hill. They upgraded me straight away, put me in the in the block and then sent me straight to the unit. And I thought, God, what am I going into here now? Because I remember there was another geezer. He got a deal for killing the old pair with Milton Keynes in 2015. And he was in a black a budgie suit at the time. And I didn't like the look of him. It was a creepy looking of him. And they had these big heavy metal chairs. I'm on the freeze land. No, I was on the ones. Because you had to be like, no, was I? I was on the ones there, actually. A cat on the ones. Someone dropped a chair on the third landing. Big metal one. Just missed his head. He would have been dead. I'm pretty much sure of that. And he ended up getting cut anyway, slashed. I've gone into there. Then I was put into the into the uh, segregation the unit, taken from there to Bowmarsh. The day I landed in Bowmarsh, the screw said to me, Georgie Shipton said it to me, he said, it's gone off here today. Said, Don't get involved. To do your own thing. I said, I'll do what I want to do, is what I said to uh, George. In terms of, I didn't know you at the time, and uh, it'd gone off that that day. We had a big mar- uh, football player called Marcus. He was on the run from America. His brother had got shot. He bought a bit of weed. They went back to complain about the weed. Only a smoke. And his brother got shot, and he got charged with his brother's murder. That was the law in his state. Terrible. He came over here on the run. It'd gone off on that spur that day. All the fellas were behind the door. 10 or 11 of them, there wasn't 11, but say there was 10 of them because I would have been the 11th on the spur. If, and um, there's been unlocked singularly to get their water of an evening because they didn't have plugs, as, uh, sockets and that in the cell. And so it went off the first day there. I think, well, just arrived here. I've just read Parker's Tales. It talks about glass jars being rammed in people's faces and stabbings and cuttings and I thought what have I come to I've come to Monster Mansion and they've just put me in here and told me it's gone off I see the biggest black geezer I've ever seen in my life like the Green Mile it was Marcus he come walking out of his cell to get his coffee I thought my god look at the size of him he used to kill mice with his feet they couldn't get away with him he was running around in the unit he'd go bang and get them how about that his feet were like that honestly so that was quite an eye opener you know like Sometimes people want to make their name off challenging a big guy. Did that happen with Marcus? Did people threaten him to try and fight? And no, oh, they, 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 they were looking at him thinking, Christ, he pulled my head off. <laughs> <laughs> he pulled my head off or picked me up with one hand. Like, you would want to fight him unless you had to. You would, of course, if you had to. I mean, I'd say, yeah, I'd fight, I'd fight him if I have. I don't want to fight him, but I will if I have to. Like, 
fight or flight. But I don't care how big you are, I will fight you. And uh, and there's lots, there's lots of people of that 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 stamina. Like a lot of Chuck Russell's like that. Did you see him in action? Never. I just never. I see him put about two hundred and forty key on his chest and just go wallop, 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 and put it down. I thought, bloody hell, he's going to bend the bar in a minute. But <laughs> <laughs> he was real cool, Marcus, and he was yeah. real laid back. But the, um, I never see him in action at all. I never see any violence in the unit apart from what I was involved in myself. So, which, no, sorry. Um, now, normally with staff, fighting with them in the unit, or other cons that are a little bit further down the line. And did you have your own cell at this point? Always. In the unit, you always get your own cells. Um, never, no double cells there. No. In the, uh, I ended up in the block two weeks after going into the special secure unit. I I sorted a member of staff who'd been threatening me. And he'd been threatening me, give me our time. And I've been, they threatened to kill me. They got me down the block there in the scrubs. They said, we'll kill you if we get you down here. When he stopped there to go, I went to go to the toilet. We had to pick the, one of the other fellas that was charged in this case, Supergrass from there. Didn't know he was a Supergrass at the time. So he was in there. And then I'd been threatened, like I say, by this group of screws. Geordie shipped him and said, why do you keep threatening him? He ain't done nothing. Then we got back to the unit. And he's performing like a bleeding idiot, this idiot. So... I'm in the strip room with him, taking my clothes off. My cuffs are off now, aren't they? I'm not double cuffed or anything. He got gobby. I bit him. He went straight to sleep and he hit the wall and slid down it. Of course, the other screws, it's happened that quick. He's not like that. And then he's hit the bell. The bell I've gone, it's all, right, it's all over. Nothing's going to happen. He's put his arms around me. But they come steaming into you in the unit or on the landings. They're not asking any questions. It doesn't matter if you're both standing there quiet, calm as anything. You are going over. Bang, they hit you, wallop straight to the floor at a great pace of knots at a great force. Jump all over you, rip your arms up your back and your legs and everything, create a struggle instead of saying, okay, you're all calm, let's put the cuffs on and we're going to walk you. No, you're going down and you're going to get it. And that's what happened to me. And I was taken to the strip box, my clothes taken off of me. I said, if you cut my clothes off, I'm going to get one if you're the first chance I'll get. My clothes are dear. I mean, at the time, they, I think they said, listen, don't cut his clothes off because he obviously means business. The other one's sitting in there asleep still when he's got quite a few injuries to his sleep. <laughs> a few teeth knocked out, stitches and a fractured cheekbone. So that left my mark with him and the other staff thinking, well, he, he can have a go and he's pretty lively. But nonetheless, I still got threatened after him by a few other members of staff and they ended up exactly the same as him, asleep or in a bad way. And did the goon squad come every time for you after those? Yeah. Yeah, to get unlocked, six-man squad, then it goes up to 12 or 10. They think you're pretty active. You can fight, not one, but you can keep going. It's hard for them to get you under control. Um, but I've had like a three-man squad, three blokes come in on me with a team behind them. Uh, and I knew the three of them, actually. And I didn't want to actually hurt any of them because I liked them. They was in the units. You're only seeing the staff in the unit. I thought, these ain't bad chaps, these two of them at least. And the other ones are all right. But uh, I did try to stab them with a pen. It was going into their body armour body protection stuff, metal pen it was. That did fighting them. Um, Kevin, you said you got, there's times when you've got this like tornado in your brain, this hurricane in your brain. So when you're fighting the goon squad, 
is it full it's going full on tornado in your brain at that point is it do you feel like you're releasing some kind of pressure or what what's the what's the thought process i used to get i think the thought that they were threatening me i won't be threatened to so matthew williams he escaped out of parkhurst there's no violence to him in terms of physical violence but he's dangerous with his brain and they went in on him to wrap him up for no reason because it was a joint decision in the unit not to work that's it we're not going to clean the gaff you clean it as a result they've gone in there and wrapped him up i got the hump over that and i remember getting on the bell and saying to one of the screws Patton was his name and i said you know when two boxers are in the ring and the bell goes off you went yeah i said the bell's just gone off go and get your kit on <laughs> walked to the back of the cell took a jump off that my mum had knitted me and waited for him to come in and that was a rage that i'd worked myself up into thinking i want you not the other way around where I'm, oh my God, the mafia coming in on me. No, I want to fight you and I'm bringing it to you. That creates a different thought pattern with the people that are coming in to fight you because they know that you want it. You want to get stuck into them. And uh, that does put you on a bit of an even par with them. Especially, if, for instance, if you're doing this regularly to, to the extent where on one of the occasions I took the shield man out and I organised it in my cell where the door would open but it opened onto the, my metrics box where the, my clothes used to have to be stored. To it open, it wouldn't open fully. And they had to turn this, the shield like that. They got big shields, didn't they, with angles on them at the side to get you penned in. Well, as they tried to come in on me, I'd put a few boxes there they hadn't thought about. And uh, when the door would open, give me a chance to run, kick the bottom of the, the shield, left hook, helmet come off, hit the ceiling, knocked him spark out. They're pulling him out by his feet while they're trading me with coshes and punching, and I'm standing there trading with them. I remember I got a big split across my eye, and that opened up like a tomato. And I had to pull him out, and they were shouting out, stop, Kevin, stop. Never forget it. Um, Wayne Holm was next to me. John Sayers was there. A lot of other people was in there. So this is me just saying it. John Sayers said he's never heard of, seen a fight go on for so long with a mufti like that. You know, me in on you, wrapping you up. Uh, not pull the fellow out at your feet and then keep trading with you. It was quite a battle, that one. I laugh about it now, but it's very serious, of course, at the time. It's not something to be laughed about. It's extreme emotion and it's very sad. And that's what I'm curious about is your inner world because when we interviewed Bash, and shout out to Bash, congratulations on getting married recently. Bash told us he has a fight and the tension goes, but then slowly a tension inside him builds up. And when he has the fight, the tension's gone again. And it's kind of this cycle that's gone throughout his life. Do you have anything comparable, like when you're fighting the goon squad, do you think you're releasing some kind of tension or anything? Only the anger that I've got in me then. <coughs> Afterwards, I get upset, <clears throat> very upset, unless I'm still angry sitting in a strip cell for very long periods of time. You're only meant to be in the box, which is concrete, grey concrete everywhere, a slab like that, like a bench for you to lie on. If you're lucky, you're not being violent or you're in strip cells, they give you a mattress where you get a blanket, a little mat, a little nappy and a little, like the little monkey uh, in Sinbad jackets like that, like a little monkey you'd wear. And depending on what level they've got you on, if you're being violent, you get nothing. And you're stripped naked. So the sun goes down, you're cold. And you lose track of the days when you're in there. And when you're in there, you can become angry still. But after that, if you're not in the strip box and you're out of there, a sadness can, can come over me. And I feel, God, why? Why is this again? Why does it always have to be this? 
So I don't believe in the yardstick. I believe that you shouldn't beat people to make them learn. You should show compassion and more open palms. You get far better that way. I do believe that. I really do. And if government should adopt that attitude in some a lot of aspects, countries that need your medication to save their children, and people in that country say, you wouldn't be alive if it weren't for Britain. They gave us medication that you needed. You wouldn't be so inclined to want to attack that country, would you? You'd have an ally with them, wouldn't you? Anyway, it's long, that's a different subject. But I used to get upset a lot after the violence, or I was still angry when I'm in strip boxes and they're bringing in my food and I'm naked there and they're bringing in my food in shields like Roman Legion coming in and you're laying there and they're saying to you, right, keep calm, Kevin. Keep your arms at your side at all times. Don't move your arms. I go, yeah, bollocks, like, you know, and they're, and they're coming in, putting your food down and going back out in, in Roman Legion formation. And I think, what is all this about? I said, put my food down and just get out, will ya? Or in that instance I told you about when my head, when I was all split open, that was done by a cosh. And about 11 or half past 11 that night, I had to fight with him about 2 o'clock in the afternoon around that time. So by the time I've gone to the box, my eyes, as long as it's swollen, shut, it's like a split tomato. Now, you can see all the flesh of the tomato. You can see all the flesh of my eye. And I was sitting there, and Pip was her name, was a nurse. She came, came in, and she's standing behind all this French, this Roman uh, legion of formation of three, two, and one. And she goes, Kevin, it's Pip here. She goes, give him something to cover himself up with. And there we go. And she goes, I said, all right, Pip. She goes, get out of the way. And she goes, all right, Kevin. I'm all right, thank you, Pip. And they wouldn't turn the light on in the strip cell, although there was a perspex glass roof to it where psychologists could walk around there and write reports on you like an animal in a cage. So she's sewing me up under a torch because they didn't want to turn the light on to give me an advantage or some type of advantage, but... Um, you can see a bit more, in the, you know, uh, not advantage, don't know what the correct word is, but nonetheless, they wouldn't turn it on because it would help me. And they sewed me up under torch, and she stuck the needle in with no anaesthetic, nothing, and I remember nearly passing out thinking, my God, this is hurting me. You're going into raw flesh, sewing it up, eight or nine hours later. Sewed it up, I'm sweating, nearly passed out, she goes, I'm ever so sorry, Kevin. I've got to do it again. It's not straight. And she weren't doing it to punish me because Pip was a sweet little lady. And she did it again. And it reminded me of the film like Rambo. Except I did nearly myself. It was so painful. And uh, that was in the, in the strip cell. So violence of two different sorts. Sewing me up without an anaesthetic. It weren't Pip's decision. We should have had to inject me in there, and they already had a needle in there, which I didn't want in the first place because that's dangerous. So no, you sew him up without a needle, without having another needle in his face that he could grab. And uh, they wouldn't mind a little curly one like that, but he didn't want something that could be plunged. So they sewed me up without anaesthetic. This is fascinating, Kevin. So you said fighting the squad burns off your anger, and then you have an anticlimax and you feel sad. And I imagine it, it builds up again. Was there, how long did that cycle for? Did there come a period of time where you stopped fighting the staff? When I realised that if I hit one of them and broke their jaws, I can get a two-strike lifer. And then I thought, you're never going home, Kevin. How old were you at that point? I'd done, I was 37. 
37. Do you know, do you know how many years into that big sentence Ten. you were? 10 years in. 10 years in, and I kept fighting. I had 18 moves in four years, so I'd been bounced around the block all the time, prisons all the time, onto the landings. They didn't want me in the blocks. When I was in the units, they couldn't send me nowhere for all the fights I had because they said, Lane, will he use extreme violence? If he tells you he's going to use it, he will use it. Don't tell Lane Black his white because you've got a problem. Um, he's good for morale. He's good for uh, the wing, but he will not suffer bullies. And like I say, if he says he's going to do it, he does it. He said, also said, Lane drinks manage him. So I started drinking in the units. So when I came out of the units, I went onto the landings and they're thinking, God, he's having parties. Not only can he fight, He's in there with people who can fight or well-known faces or they're just decent people he's Kevin's made friends with. We ain't going in on them because they're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so he used to let me have my parties. So everyone was banged up on time anyway. Mm -hmm. And behind the door and there was no violence. But imagine the violence they must have thought was on tap if they wanted it. But luckily it never was. When they said you don't suffer bullies, what did they mean by that? Were there some stories of people you dealt with yeah, uh, oh, blimey. he's dead now, so I can't not mention the name, but he was an informer, and he was a bully in his own way of life as well. He sent a makeshift bomb and teddy bears, inner teddy bear, to his his former partner and children. It wasn't a bomb, though, but it was a makeshift one, and stuff like that. I mean, so much so, when he got killed, his co-defendant chopped his hands and fingers and all that off and chopped his hands off his feet off and that was his co-defendant so they would have fallen out but this man was meant to be an, uh, an informer in the prison system and he was in the unit and i was told of him being in the unit and danny mcnamara and leo magotto and the boys they said kevin there's always a grass in the unit so be careful so when i landed there i was taken there over lockup i was met in reception with three alsatians and a sea of screws wanted me to kick off because I said, when I come to that unit, I'm going to smash it up. And I was interviewed by two members of staff down in Balmarsh Special Secure Unit. they come down here to make it a smooth transition into the unit. I said, I don't care about your unit. I'm going to smash it up and burn it up when I get there. And you've got a full informant in there that's going to be getting it. And I think, God, he's always fighting in the unit down here. He's pretty lively. He's coming up there. And we've just had the unit opened up after the escape. Just got all new restrictions. Michael Howard was the new Home Secretary. It has been looked at and scrutinised in Europe as the most heavily uh, videoed uh, building in Europe at the time. Inhumane, it was classed as, and they were sending me into it. So I've landed there. I've got unlocked after arriving there about half an hour later. I've looked to my right and I've seen this fellow about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, walking along, pretending to shadow box. And he was a Geordie. Or he weren't a Geordie, he was from Middlesbrough, but same same horse, different jockey, so to speak, with the accent. And I walked up to him, give him a right straight away. And I always walk along, throwing a left and a right like that. So I give him a right. I could see he was unconscious in my mind's eye now, uh, on his feet. And I caught him with a left hook as well. Burning mind, I was doing a thousand press-ups a day, army press-ups. Well, I'd do 50 runs there, straight runs, these runs, these runs, swan dives. I could do 50 of them at any time. No problem whatsoever. I could do a hundred and wink at you. All right. <laughs> and I went bouncing. They were proper press up all the way down. And I was looking, looking up when I did them. So my arms were like iron. So when you hit someone, it's not like being hit with a, this round the face. You've been hit with that. That has a lot of extra penetration. 
or when you hit someone, that's what I try to say to boxers, make your arms rock hard. So when you hit someone, it vibrates through their bleeding, their body. He was on for, asleep for minutes. Now he was the first instance for me going into the units against inmates. I came out of the, um, wait, I had a fight with him a couple of times actually, put him to sleep on both occasions in the unit. Um, he started getting big, found a bit of weight around, found his chances foolishly and it didn't work, end up well for him. But when I came out of the units, went on to the landings, my name was already established because there's this new young kid who looked like a college boy in the countryside, 11 stone seven. 11 stone seven? In the unit, fighting the Mufti, being quite successful with him, and knocking out giants, putting them to sleep for like that. <laughs> a few minutes where they had to right, resuscitate the fella. At the time, I just thought it was business as usual. No different to weighing in people outside, to weighing them in in prison. No different to having a fight with loads of doormen and then getting weighed in and then saying, right, I'll have you now then, me and you. Not all of you, me and you. And then that same would happen and same again. So I was pretty much used to that type of getting overwhelmed by Mufti and getting a bit of a, a kick in at that time. Although you're doing well taking them out, and you go back and take and sort them all out individually after that or thereabouts. You're used to that type of fighting. I got a good idea once off 11 blokes, but I took the fight to him. Again, I took, definitely, I took two out and the third one I was on the penny by then. What was but that over? They started on my brother at a burger van, uh, thinking he was with someone that he wasn't with. And I just turned around and see him and my brother went into him and then kept going into him and ended up getting a good idea. I uh, went back and got him though. After I finished convalescence, I had broken ribs and all sorts. But I'm used to that type of thought pattern where you're getting fairly beaten, but you won't give in. And however, I was quite successful with it, but I was a little bit older in the units. So then when I came out of the, uh, the units onto the landings, there was a lot of violence there. It started in, let's not, let's not just focus on my violence for a little bit. Let's focus on uh, some of the violence that I was witness to in there. Around what year are we at now? Well, early doors from 1996, 97, 97 say, you're just seeing the normal violence on the land is against comms, slashing, not making them any stabbings. I hadn't seen any oil in it at all, or waters at that time. And then around about 2000, Operation Trident, young kids were coming in massively. In 2006, they were just flooding the landings. It's where the parents went to the police and said, you've got to stop our young kids killing each other, black on black. Rightly so as well. So then they started coming into the, the, the landings and then still got their problems with someone out who's on another house block or another spur because they've killed someone that you're related to or it's your brother even, and that's happened in there. So with that, what they do? Sign up to Islam. You mustn't attack another Muslim. But again, it was, they still did carry on the attacks. So then if you had a problem with one of them, and you've got a problem with all of them. So then you'd have to fight a pack of wolves attacking you, which has happened with a lot of people in the system. Never happened to me, and I had fights with people who were well-known in there. But luckily, 
I was considered in a manner where, and please don't take this the wrong way, but I was well liked in there by all walks of life of all colours. Terrorists as well, who liked me. And I like the personality of that terrorist. Hard as that is for you to imagine that, I see a difference in some people when you live on the land is with them. So, for instance, Terry Conigan. I've, may, I've maybe deflected a bit there, but Terry Conigan was in for killing uh, the boxing trainer Davis uh, with Jump Up John. And he was having a bad asthma attack, bad asthma attack. And healthcare had been about 30 odd minutes coming for him. Abdul drove the car into Glasgow Airport, didn't he? He was a real doctor in that. I went and got Abdul and took him in to see Terry Conigan. Terry Conigan's attack got worse when I produced Abdul. <laughs> He's thinking, Dr. Death, you've tried to kill my countryman. He doesn't talk to him because you watch taunts like that, like a lot of people in there. Um, but I always found him fasc fascinating and wanted to talk to him. And I enjoyed, enjoyed his conversation. It was like talking to a doctor who was really, really calm and placid. Unbelievable. Um, he, I brought him into the cell. Terry Conigan's face has changed. And he's looking at Dr. Death saying, what are you doing, Kevin? They called bang up and Abdul refused to be locked up. He said, you're going to have to bend me up and if you want me out of here, you're going to have to remove me by force. I'm not leaving this man. So you see, one extreme is trying to kill you by buying up Terry's fellow countrymen and mine, because I'm half Scottish. And then the next, he's, he's, he's being offered violence by the staff and he wouldn't leave. So I see that in there where you've got Con signing up to Islam. And they're going down the front, down the church, or they the, we called the, the mosque at the time, but it was a church. And there'd be more people in that service on a Friday afternoon with weapons ready to attack each other than there was in there for praying. And it went off on, I say two, but it was three. Fridays on the trot in Whitemore, where it went right off. Stabbings. The staff was down there waiting for it to kick off because they knew this was the only place that these lads could get at each other because it was their Friday prayers. And they just went hell to leather, stabbing each other to bits. In a place of worship, that's when I started seeing the violence escalate to a degree where you think there's no sanctum and there should have been. Because I'd never seen violence in the church in all the years I'd been in there up until that. And then I see the napalm, where they're boiling up butter or olive oil. You can get enough bottles of olive oil to make a pot or ghee to boil that into oil, straight in your face. I see the, the Ministry of Sound Bomb, a little fella, I forget his name now. Come to me in a minute. He had oil poured over his head. And water, shall I say, in the kitchen in Franklin on the ones on... One of the spurs. Was that over drug debts? Him being his... No, because he was... The attacks he'd done. So he was attacked by some of the lads up there. Geordie lads. And then as a result of that, one of the Ministry of Sound Bombers, he was a doctor as well. Or something like that. Real, like, uh, the Milky Bar Kid type appearance really softly spoken, quite a good personality, really intellectual conversation you could have with someone like that. He went and boiled oil and as a revenge attack, tipped over geezer's head. It was getting out on the Monday, that happened on the Friday, and his head went like crackling. 
and he nearly died. He was in intensive care and everything. His head went like crackling, and the scream was like a lobster screaming, but ten times as loud. Very frightening. Was that one of the most frightening things that you happened around you? He, seeing that type of extreme violence in every prison from there on in let you know how people were fighting their battles. So every good uh, general picks his battlefield, but not every good general can pick what weaponry is used against you, whether it be in the form of a an ice pick that has been made in the workshop with jagged edges, so when it comes out, it rips all your guts out at the same breath. And a friend of mine had one of them, and he was going to stab someone in Long Larton. And I said, what are you going to do with that? He goes, I'm going to stick it straight through him. I said, well, you will do with that. Why was he upset? That was an argument over religion. And there'd been attacks on people, fights. And that was, gonna, that was the next level. And I said, you ain't, you're doing life now. You'll never be going home if you kill him. I took it off of him and put it in the bin. It made me shiver. So I thought, my God, what are you going to... So they're giving lifers, murderers and serious criminals access to a metal shop where you're making weapons to kill yourself. Matthew Williams, I told you about, and Andy Rogers, they made a gun, makeshift gun in, in uh, Parkhurst, in the metal shop. They reckon could have worked. How about that? Dangerous, eh? So, Kevin, as you're seeing the violence escalate... You've gone from being a young person, you're maturing as a man. How are you navigating that? It sounds to me like you've got the respect of the older generation. You've got the respect of the different races. But are you finding it trickier to navigate as the consequences escalate around you for people? Don't it trickier to navigate where I see the at the time arguments on both sides. If like you was wrong, you'll say, look, Sean, I think you're wrong, mate. But you're not going to stab him. That ain't happening. How can we resolve this? It don't have to go to that. I mean, why does it have to go to such extremeness? Unless he stabbed you or something, then, you know, the rule, the, the, the gloves are off and it's, I'll make a stand with you. So did you become more of a mediator for people and a, a more diplomatic as, as you matured? Definitely, I could say, well, does it have to come to this violence? Why does it have to come to that? Or come on, this, uh, yeah, definitely a mediator. Definitely when it came to the bigger sides, the bigger people was going at each other. Have you got any stories of mediation, you know, long stories where perhaps you de-escalated a situation? There was a fella called Burma. He was given a contract to cut or stab Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole is a miscarriage of justice in this country and uh, largely known. He's got, he'll end up serving most of his time before he gets out. It's a miscarriage of justice. The, one of the fellas or a person who got killed and Peter was reportedly responsible for that. Although I would like to say his co-defendant was caught with the same shotgun that the fellow was killed with and it was withheld from his evidence and all stuff like that. So look into the case deeply before you persecute someone. So the family of that one of the deceased had reportedly put up £20,000 to have him slapped, stabbed or stabbed in the eye. And this kid called Burma was uh, given that job. Um, allegedly, one of the other people involved uh, or I spoke to about at that time. We had a chat about what was going on. He was, I'm not going to mention his name because he's become friends with Peter and they sorted it out. He was reported to be issuing that contract. 
and I, I spoke to this pal of mine in prison at the same time. I said, what's going on? It can't be right. Surely not right. And over money, you don't even know anyway. So uh, this Burma used to sleep in bed. And he slept in bed next to the laundry room on the ones. And without him realising, we'd known that he'd been asked to commit this contract out on Peter. And uh, what can we do about it, Kevin? I said, well, what do you want to do about it? But there's no speaking to him because he's already taken the hit on you. Um, you know it's going to happen. What are you going to do? Um, before that incident happened, before his door was opened, well, it wasn't Peter, I'm not saying it was Peter, there was other people involved at the time. He's gone in there and done what was going to be done. I went round to the ones, and before that door was opened, I got into the laundry, seen the lads in there waiting to go in. When the door was opened, go in, stab him to bits. Come back out of there with the tools, put them in the laundry bag, straight into the washing machine, okay? Uh, or get rid of them, whichever way they were going to get rid of them, okay? But they wanted to get any DNA that might be on there off and whatever. Uh, the door got unlocked late and I was in there talking to the lads and as a result of that the tools went away and that keys are in that cells very lucky man and he didn't know or he didn't know that at the time he was just about to get served up severely in bed stabbed to bits and it would have been on top would have been screaming straight away so it would have been a 30 second frenzy of attacks 40 second frenzy of stab 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 just stab 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 quick as you can say 30 seconds is a long time to be stabbing someone but he'd have been asleep he was always known for being in his bed asleep so the first four or five plunges would have been in him very serious any other stories of situations where you've saved people's lives or saved them from being really hurt I've saved a kid's life who was going to hang himself once from being bullied. He was going to be hanging himself, put a stop to that. Why were they picking on him? That happens in the system. It was taxing, bullying. People wanted you to get a bit of canteen off of you, steal off of you. There was a big friend called Sharpie, and Longy was his name, Jason Long or Jay Long. He'd done, he was putting curve when he was born, been all through the system, and Sharpie had nicked his tobacco out of his cell, just picked it up and walked out of it. And little Longy went and got a hot pepper bottle, strapped it to his hand. A bit like Kevin Fackler did. Kevin Fackler did the same in Franklin. He stabbed screws, come out of his cell. He had a vendetta against screws, hatred for him. He, and uh, at, I think one of them had given him a beating or something had happened. And he stabbed them to bits, woman included, with a hot pepper sauce bottle and caused some severe damage to them staff. And then he died, cut a juggler and things like that. Um... Longy did the same to Sharky. Sharky's about 22 stone, could bench press 220 key. A big lump of a man, dangerous. He beat a copper with a knuckle duster and hammer tied up in the basement trying to get him to open up a safe in his house. And killed him. And his dad is the um, the boxer in Wakefield, um, Sykes. That's who his dad was. Sykesy? Uh, Sykesy, right? We've, we've done a few podcasts about Sykesy. Right, well, he's shot his boys, if I've got this right, he's meant to be Sharpie, called Sharp. Um, 
he's a big lump. Jay stabbed him in the neck. It must have been like a bit of a bee sting to Sharvey, because he went like that, realised he was bleeding, and chased Longy down the landing. And he could move this bleeding Sharvey, I swear to God, he could move. And he's chased Longy down the landing, and Sean, he was a Geordie screw, used to take mellow tan, gave him a bit of a tan, but he looked as black as you could ever imagine. But I like Sean, and he was proper good crack, and uh, proper, he jumped in front of Sharpie and stopped him on his own. He would have had it with him and all, and I respected him for that, Sean. So that was quite a, a dangerous run, but when Kevin Fackerer stabbed the staff, my God, he went on a frenzy, plunging them to bits. Same as like David Bieber, who got shot for shoot, got nicked for shooting the police officers in Yorkshire. He tried to cut a woman prison officer's head off in Long Larton about two years ago. Yeah, tried to cut her head off. He was asked to kill me, and he said he'd come and told me he had a contract on me. And I thought, well, thanks for telling me, Dave. Appreciate you telling me. So I'm telling you, I don't want you to find out, and then we'll have a problem because you think I'm plotting you. I was four people asked to kill me, and all four of them had told me. Why was there a contract on you? Uh, the informers in my case wanted me shut up in relation to the evidence that I'd acquired, saying that they'd informed on me in the system, and they were working with the police. So it was desperate to get me shut up, and that material was disclosed to me, to me at court two of the Old Bailey, as well as other numbering agencies within the criminal justice system. So there was hits against me. No one ever tried to kill me, no, in prison. And all those years I stayed in the same prison, the same cells. I had three police Osman warnings in prison. And I know for a fact that there, was, there were Osman warnings and hits given on people in prison regularly, and they get carried out. None of them ever got taken out on me at that time. And I think it's because one, I was really well liked and people see me for being the man I was where I was really fair and I like people, don't know where you're from, I liked you. And I'll side against you if you was white and this person was black because I like, I see the goodness in this man, I really like him and I think you're wrong. And I didn't give a f monkey's where you come from. What's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And so like David Baby says, Kevin, like Victor, Victor, little Victor, Castigo. He said, Kevin, he said, you, 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 I like you, Kevin. He said, and you never hurt no one unless you fight if you have to fight. And so that's why people were telling me. So I had a good name in there, but I did have a lot of fights. We've got a lot of viewers in America, Kevin, and they might be wondering what an Osmond warning is. Could you explain what one is and what happened the first time they came and, and said that, that to you? There's a serious threat against your life that the police have received information that you are going to be killed. Someone's going to make a, a, an attempt on your life, and they've checked out those threats. So the threats were coming from the informer in my case. And like I say, he wanted me shut up, and he came into money, and he was put 50 grand on my head, and then it went up to 100. And then two years ago, it went up to 200 grand, and that was offered out to the Sikh community, and they come and told me. So it seems I'm quite lucky enough to get told all the time, but very dangerous because these are imminent threats by people who've got nothing left nothing to lose if for instance if you're in prison and you get offered two hundred thousand pound and 50 or a hundred thousand pound and fifty thousand pound of that's going to be put up we've lodged with someone and you'll get the other 50 as soon as that attack's committed on me a hundred thousand pound to you in prison is a lot of money if you've got a family or if you're on drugs and they still didn't get taken so i'm very lucky although there was people i probably could say that if they had to come across me they would have stabbed me but there was a lot of terrorists in the system that were committing acts of multiple stabbings, Apache attacking, 
And still, when I was on those lanyards, I didn't get attacked. And I think that was because a lot of people would have come to the fold with me if it had happened to me. Although I didn't realise that then at the time, I bought those lanyards on my own and I'd be prepared to fight one, two or three or ten people on my own if I had to. Uh, but I think what saved me was one, that I was well-liked and secondly, that people knew that it would go right off if I was multiply attacked by the Islamic, Islamic terrorists. Um, because one, they had an opposition anyway and secondly, I got on with a lot of people black and white and I'd have had black and white coming to my 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 age should I say if I'd have needed it so we spoke to a lot of people on the podcast who've had husband warnings who were in the public domain but you were in prison how does it work if you get an husband warning in prison the guards just come to your cell and take you to a legal visit and the cops have to brief you what's I got called I got called into the governor's office and told it was a threat against my life I went tell me say it was new right no I'm gonna get I've got a uh, look I saw a photo do you want one no, I'm good. Go for it. You're lucky at all, because right, none left. While you're doing that, I'll just tell the viewers, don't forget, Cambridge Country Club, February 23rd. Link is in the description box below this video. Kevin Lane and guests, it's going to be a cracking night. It'll be a great night. And there'll be other people there that aren't on the, on the uh, flyer. But there'll be a lot of guests there. So you get told this warning that it's an imminent threat against your life and you're going to get killed or someone's going to try and kill you. And you walk in the landings with people that are in there for killing people. So it's uh, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory for murderers. When you received that first Osmond warning, did you know right away who was behind it? Yeah. I've been told that they're trying to get me killed. I've been told by people that money's being offered. And these are people higher up in the chain of command, in the prison system. And people directly who have been asked themselves. So when you're getting asked by somebody who's been directly asked, you know it's pretty strong and you know these people as well. I never changed. All I did was, though, <coughs> I was just maybe a little bit more conscious about my movement. So instead of having my head in the phone all the time, I might just have the phone out. But Because I was aware that you cannot stop yourself from being attacked in prison. End of. You have not got eyes in the back of your bus hooks or in the back of your head. And, you know, you can be cutting something up, someone can walk past you, cutting something come in the kitchen, walk in, stab you, walk back out. It's as simple as that. Unless you've got a, an armoured plated shield around you, you are going to get stabbed if someone wants to stab you or hurt you. Fact. That's a fact. And I never had that. And for the young people who think there's just like super tough guys who are immune to getting any harm done to them, how... Is that ridiculous or? Absolutely absurd. Doesn't matter how big you are, six foot six, 20 stone. There's lads in the system now that I'm aware of, that big, that have been mass attacked by multiples of other people and stabbed that person a number of times, or those people a number of times, because it hasn't, hasn't happened singularly, it has happened multiple times to multiple people, good against and for and severe stabbings, face, neck, wherever, as well as oilings, it happens. And they just grin like a pack of wolves, like you said earlier. Grin like a pack of wolves, and they know that you're going to come back at them, and you're going to have something to say about it, yet they still come at you with lots of weapons. And they do it in front of staff sitting where Sean is. 
because they've taken their orders or they're so angry with you they just can't wait to get into you because all they see is red frenzy they're very very frightened there's no protection in prison to a certain degree where you will get stabbed if someone really wants to stab you or do the most atrocious acts of violence against you so turn of the millennium what prison were you in by then i was in long Larton. i went there in 2000 and i remember watching the world cup sitting on the rowing machine where johnny uh what was his name he kicked the kicked the shot kicked the ball over the post what's his name the rugby player johnny anyway i remember watching him kick that ball over for the world cup final and getting used to the violence in there so it was renowned for having rabbit warrens in the new in the old wings where you could touch each side of the the wall and you had six cells either and there's a dead end down there and staff didn't like coming down there they sat at the end of the rabbit wall and then there'd be a little square to be our rabbit wall little square like here and another rabbit wall down there a lot of violence a lot of tv rooms that aren't even monitored can't be watched a lot of dark areas showers for instance and sometimes you wouldn't have staff on the freezer and be on the twos a lot of opportunities to hurt people badly and when the opportunists opportunists avenues of attack were reduced in terms of they can only get you on the gym or visit visit was frowned upon people's loved ones there but I would have had someone going in on a visit if I had to get them. It's the only place I could get them. Or exercise on the weekends. Where normal location would cross each other out on the exercise field. So three and a half times around long line exercise field at that time was a mile on the measuring stick. But on there was the football pitch. And people used to bury their weapons out there. It went off twice whilst I was there on the field. On one of the occasions, people from my wing and another wing, friends of mine, and other people, two sets of friends of mine, were fighting. <laughs> it escalated. I think there was 30-odd people in the block and put back up on the wing locked up because there was no more block cells where it kicked off on the field dogs prison uh guard dogs running around let off the leads biting people biting staff because they were just going mental <laughs> people getting slashed stabbed on the field like a football frenzy of people going at each other in the mix, white prison shirts or black jackets with prison officers and their dogs running around off the lead, biting people. While people are slashing and stabbing. Like, you imagine it. It was carnage. How did you navigate that if you were friends with both sides? Stay out of it. Stay out of it. Did people try and rope you in? Yeah, but what do you do when I like you and I like you? You see, I'm mental. You'd both can't sort your arguments out, will you? 
They're both mad. So that went down. It was mad because it was two, started off over two brothers that I knew. Not blood brothers, but black brothers. And as a result of that, it just kicked right off. Twice. Not a few stabbings, nasty stabbings and all. It kicked off once in Franklin, a little time after that. And there was a dispute again. Shout oh. out shout out to Ricky Colleen. He's uh, told us a few Franklin stories. Yeah, I don't want to tell you about the times I caught him in a cell kissing someone. <laughs> Stop doing that, Ricky. Stop doing that. Kevin was jealous. You <laughs> <laughs> was kissing me earlier. <laughs> he never done that, Ricky. He's a good laugh, and I used to have some good times with Ricky. But so Franklin, it was like Braveheart, was it? It kicked off on G Wing on there once, and people were unconscious, laying down on the landing. Staff had to evacuate that part of the uh, wing let the frenzy carry on and it went on for a long time and on about minutes long time people was unconscious on the floor and i know people that ran past them and as they ran past them they stabbed them whilst they was asleep you can have another one wallop i haven't heard of that before in prison where people are getting stabbed because they're unconscious and they're on the opposing side is that because the feud ran so deep they got involved in the feud and it was to do with Warren Slaney, to start with him. And some blokes come round to put it on Warren Slaney. Um, and the whole house block evolved, erupted. So when we was talking earlier, and that went on for about half an hour before the staff got control of the wing again, quite long. And there was a standoff and like one party down here and this party up here, and it was quite severe. The other one kicked off. <laughs> and you know, I told you about the rapists earlier. So there's a group of lads that took some girls to a park and raped them and shot them oh, and left them for dead in Reading. Disgusting. And that's the same group that I was aware of as well. They came into the dispersal system. One of them came into Whitemore. He came out of the segregation, not segregation, protection wings. He came onto the main landing. I haven't got permission to mention my friend, pal's name, but he came to me. His mum was doing a bit of time. That had helped identify him to let him know that I'm speaking about him because he was proper staunch without mentioning his name. That would identify him to a lot of people. And he said, Kevin's a geezer on there that was involved in that lot that you was telling us about. He said, but he only made him give him a blowjob. I went, get in there and do him. He said, but such and such, he said, if anyone goes through him, want, go, want them, they've got to go through him. I said, well, tell him to meet me out in the yard and bring two of his mates with him. I'll meet him out in the yard in a minute. Rather than saying, it's, it's going. You're not protecting him because you know his brother. He's bragging about he only made the girl give him a blowjob. He wasn't involved in the shooting and all the rest of it. He's getting it. I said, so get in there and give it to him. There's a bit of it like... Um, I remember him telling me after, he said, God, three of us went in on him. He said, we're hitting each other because he was trying to hit him. <laughs> <laughs> like the mad friends, he'd give it to him. he got to beat him. And I said, you better get off the wing. He got off the wing. But when I was talking to you about the one that happened on 
Frank done. That had to do with Warren Slaney, different incident. But a little while after, on a new wing, one of these rapists turned up there as well and came on normal location because he converted to Islam. And he was on normal location. And the lad says, get him off the landing. If he ain't gone, scouses and manxes was. said, tell him he's off the landing. Otherwise, woman opens up, it's going off. These are long wings, these were, like big wings, like barns. Anyway, needless to say, Unlock came. He's staying because he's got the brotherhood behind him, protecting him. I think he's got card blanche to do what he wants. It went right off. There was people throwing snooker balls, chairs, snooker cues, knives. It kicked right off. And again... There was that many people involved in the in the, the riot where it was a proper street kickoff. They had to lock people up off on the wing because the block was full. They couldn't feel the segregation. <laughs> and there was that many feel, fighting in there. There was behind their doors for long periods of time before the prison was able to ship everybody out, get enough buses to the prison to ship people out to blocks around the country to be able to empty the block. So you imagine the state that was in within the prison. People have been involved on that wing, them wings fighting, on the two different wings I've told you about. But they might have had, had around, stabbed some of my mates. So they'd be locked down on their wing, but some of the inmates have got to come off there to go to work in other areas where you might bump into them. If you was a gym orderly, or if you worked in the kitchen, or if you are on visits, to go off again. Carnage. Biggest old carnage. It was like human warehouse carnage. Ian Blink MacDonald told us some stories about Warren Slaney. They, they teamed up together against some other people. Yeah, they, they had no problem whatsoever. Warren to make one on his own against someone. Ian Blink MacDonald, game. He's known for having a fair tear up, Ian. Shout out to Blink. Fair out see, to see Blink. See you in Glasgow at the Francis show soon. Yeah, every day. So... He sat down with my uncle, Ian did, I was away, and he said, oh, you're Ian Blink McDonald. He goes, yeah, he said, I'm Kevin's, uh, so he, he had a good drink with my uncle <laughs> up in Scotland. Fair play to Ian and all. Um, I'll probably see you at uh, Michael Franchise, depending where it is, which one I come to. Scotland is well known for knife crime. Well before it was in, in the UK like they was up there. But the knife crime I've seen in prison it's not just across the face where you're putting a knife on someone, sticking it all over them, across the throat, eyes, slashing, slashing people to pieces. The eyes. The eyes, yeah, the eyes. The eyes, bad ear, you're really lucky. I know people have got it across the eye. Yeah. Um, they're lucky. It didn't go in there. Didn't go in, very lucky. Other people that did. See, uh, Dwayne Chambers, for instance, he got stabbed in the eye. With a pot, uh, with a spike, oh. right in his eye, went right into his brain, oh. and it affected him for a long, long time. Where he was um, in a state where he was really, really couldn't look after himself. Oh. So it caused brain damage. Brain damage, yeah. He's far better now and far capable of looking after himself oh. than he was when it happened. But he got stabbed to bits, and he was dangerous, Dwayne. But was he blind in that eye? He was. He lost sight in it as well, I believe. 
if I've got that wrong, I apologise, but I believe he was blind in the eye and it affected, like I say, his brain and he was stabbed right into his eye, right into his brain matter. And I see him, the effects that that had on him afterwards. Was that obviously something serious or was it? Dwayne was known for carrying out contracts on people. Mm. The argument he had over that, I'm not at liberty to say what it was over. I'm not saying it was over a contract that he carried, but it was definitely over something that other parties weren't happy about or had agreements with. And Wayne walked those landings, as he did every day, on his own. And game, he'd have a blade on him all the time. Dwayne did, he had no problem, pretty much all the time. As other people carried blades all the time in prison, shanks, I never. But there's one of those instances there where he's got straight in the old dome bone, in the old cabbage. He's crab walking after that and dribbling and couldn't feed himself and all sorts. And still put back on the landing. If it happened again, if he wants to say something about it, which he would have done, as soon as he got better, or they might have mild out. When I see him, I was hoping he'd mild out a bit because I like Dwayne. Did you come across Yami, Uncle Yami, shout out? Yeah, I know Yami. Come across him in the system. Did you? Never see anything that he he talks about of doing because it never happened in the prisons I was in when it happened with him. Yeah, um, I think he's had his times in prison, hasn't he? He's such a positive guy, isn't he? he just radiates warmth and enthusiasm, and he's happy-go-lucky on his how he lived his life in prison. Mm. He was heavily on drugs in prison, which he talks about. So I'm not bad mouthing him here. Mm. His lifestyle there wasn't the lifestyle he leads now. And so that's good, fair play to him, and it shows people you can change your lives. But he's seen both walks of life in prison with the way he led his life in there, and it has been quite problematic for him and others at times, mm. which he accepts. So it's good to see him on the path he's earning now, earning a straight living. He's doing great on YouTube. People subscribe to Yami B TV on YouTube. His stories are brilliant. He's, here, but he's getting a living out of it, which was before he was committing contracts in prison for drugs. How easy is it to execute a contract on someone or put a contract on someone in prison? Dead easy. Bag of gear. Life is cheap. Life is cheap. Look, there's a bag of gear. What do you want to do? When slashed. No problem. Bag of gear. So a gram of heroin. Whatever gram of heroin was at the time. In there, you've got someone slashed to bits. And how often is it they want to go all the way on these contracts? Always a big thing. There was five murders in 2015, I believe, in the high security estate. They were pretty much avenged attacks or paedophiles. <laughs> gentleman had his penis cut off and stuck in his mouth. One. Um, it's quite violent in Franklin, isn't it? He had his, he was disemboweled and then cut his penis off. Right? I was there in that year when that happened. Well, he won't be doing anything else to any kids. No, he won't. But then there's been other people like that who've had some st same sort of stuff taken to them just through pure angriness, hatred. Um, yeah, not good. So the, when you look about the murders in there, whether it's staff or inmate, you don't get the statistics reported in the manner on the, the the local news because it isn't local news they don't want it on the news do they, they? Cause it, the news. it shames the prison and they lose uh their stats so it's, people say why aren't all these on the news the prison hides a lot of it don't they 
They have to because they're saying they don't want to put people off from coming in there to work. I had a young lady, she's starting at a prison, and she asked me if I can give her some advice. I said, right, first of all, how old are you? And then I've seen her profile. She's a pretty girl. And I thought she's going into an environment where men are starved of affection. They're going to be playing up to her. Very difficult. Um, what advice can you give someone to say, if you've got a husband, because you better get used to you being lech, people leching all over you. And it will affect you coming home where you've seen people hanging or cut. That's going to affect your livelihood. So it's hard to give people advice in that manner, but it must affect their lives. PTSD, post-traumatic stress. I've got to tell you, I think that happens on a lot of staff side more than cons. Don't know why that is. Cons claim P, uh, PTS and they come and say they can't work. They're just, a lot of them just milking the ticket that other people are milking already. They could go to work, there's nothing wrong with them. Just want to, they've been a long time in prison, they don't want to work and they'll get a few quid. But I know for a fact a lot of staff take it a lot worse than cons do. What well, the staff, I think all the staff we've interviewed have had PTSD and have had serious health and mental health and addiction and alcohol issues. Yeah. I had those issues when I was in there and I was enjoying myself. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, a partisan who used to get uh, drunk on hooch. Um, how old were you when you got out, Kevin? 47. 47. And what was your biggest challenges as you were facing the gate? None. None. Were you psychologically ready post-release plan? Yeah, no challenges. Challenge was getting on with my life. That wasn't a challenge. It was a... A, f a thirst for life. I was a sponge. <laughs> Wanted to get on with it. And I couldn't wait. I was excited. Make up for this time. Make up. That, that didn't go down well when I became single after <clears> a while. <throat> and I think I slept with about, I think it's 14 or 15 girls consecutively, different girls, out of 16 days. Different girl every day. How do you manage that? Plenty of fish. Ple no, it weren't. <laughs> I didn't do none of that. It was from. I went on Match.com. Match. And I knew girls that I knew. Yeah. And I said, look, I'm free. I'm just become single. No strings attached. Attached. Straight sex. Just want to meet you. <laughs> Have a good time. If we don't yeah. end up in bed, we don't. But yeah. let's just go on. I'm being starved of women company. And then Wallop, girls said, for being so honest, mm. uh, I just went out and enjoyed their time, their personality, yeah. ended up in bed anyway. Yeah. But catching up on life for me wasn't about that. It was about enjoying society, trying to step away from the violence that I'd seen been breathing and living and eating every day in my life because it's it's on the land as it's facing you. You can come out of a door, turn left, bump into someone, he's had a bad day or he don't like you or you've had a row with him before and the next thing you know, he's been plotting you and he stabs you in life there and then. Right? You've caught him on a bad day. So the getting out into society, it was a breath of fresh air and think, wow, let's see what he's got to enjoy. You're going full tilt on the adrenaline from what you just described. Like you said, anything can happen. Getting out into society, is there like an adrenaline come down? Do you have to adapt? No, no you become more guarded. I was more guarded in, on the ex side, outside than I was on the inside. More guarded? More guarded to stay out of Even trouble. though the threats are less? Is it? More people. More people outside that don't know who you are or do know who you are and... Trying to avoid road rage, trying to avoid someone you've bumped into, uh, trying to avoid situations where you don't want to go because it could be a peaceful protest about climate change. You end up in front of a, a police officer being pushed to the front, and next thing you know, you've been arrested for 
public disorder or he's hit you with a car shorts, whatever, whatever's gone on, being in situations where I don't want to get nicked. So, so you've had to become very strategic to adapt to society so you don't go back. Yeah, because in the landings, you walk in the jungle in prison, you know violence is in front of you. It's staring at you. You just get on with your life and adapt that into one, one of the consequences as leading your normal life. But no, it can go off straight away and you're ready for that. You're ready for that without walking around. I was ready for that with just having a laugh. But in a flicker of instance, I would turn to violence if I had to to defend myself. Or something like that. What other ways have you changed as a person since you got released? Certainly more considerate against people. There's a grey area in, 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 in life. Uh, I now want to... I don't want to exist. I want to live life. I definitely feel that we need to consider other options of other nations before we go attacking. Um, there's a lot to be said about talking. I think Obama was a great president. He had a nice way about him. He's inviting, he could talk to people. I think a lot of other governors, uh, governors, presidents around the world or uh, prime ministers don't have that easygoing nature or, or they're, they're too strong in other areas. If the world was more understanding and forgiving, and being able to communicate. Some people can communicate with people really well. But how hard is that for you to put into practice? So since you're released, for example, have you been in a situation where someone's got in your face? They're never going to listen. They don't want to listen. So I've either got to belt them or then get done for bad behaviour. I had a kid the other week give me a couple of clumps. Like, I didn't know, not bad about it. I say that. i got a bad knee. So if I literally made a move, my knee goes without me even thinking, I'm on Penny. And uh, he was getting aggressive in my face. Over like, what? How did it start? So I, was, I went to open a wine bar. And believe me, I've already had people say, look, Kevin, I said, yes, and leave it. He bragging to me that he tacked a set of clippers off of a spur on a house block in Belmarsh, and he told them he wanted £300 back for it. I said, no, I was listening to him talk all this time, and I think he'd had some cocaine he's chewing you holes quite a bit and I said to be honest with you mate I said this is shit talk I said and I don't like this type of talk I said I wouldn't have it with people like you in the prison I said taxing people for their clippers they're the only clippers in the wing I said yeah. and he said I said I don't want to talk to you mate I don't like it um he's gone away he's then come back and said well I've got to apologize to you mate he's only about nine and a half stone wet with a camel skin crumbly on and something like that I look at him think Look, mate, I'd have hit you a little while ago now. We're past that. You've been aggressive. I'd have belted you. And he's gone, have I got to be, have I got to apologise to you again? And he's done it again and put his face forward. I went, fuck off. Like, get away from me. Like, it's coming into my face. Um, run him away. Ended up on the penny. He got picked up and slung out. Give me a couple of clumps as he's getting out. And then that type of thing, you've got to watch. Now, the days of really, I'd have gone, right, you're threatening me, you're being violent. My answer to you is you're going to sleep. That's the difference. Now you have to wait to be assaulted or almost going to be assaulted and defend yourself. And then if you cause them damage, you will go to prison for that because you've used excess of excess offence to defend yourself. I've had that done to me before. Since you got out? In prison. I sort of used too much force to defend myself and I was put in the block and then sent on a lay down for four weeks. That was with my hands. And uh, with these people intoxicated or whatever, and they're in your face like that, they start this stuff, and then they're the first ones to snitch you out as well when it goes uh, south. You know, 
this little gentleman um, <laughs> is on a basher phone. So they just register where he lives. I just let him know that now. Because I was going to go and turn up and knock on his door and say, you know, that incident happened uh, the other night. And would you like to discuss that with me now? What have you got to say about it? Being aggressive towards me and all stuff like that. And then see what he had to say. Without causing him any violence, of course. But just to let him know the basher number he had came up as a basher number. If it had been his home address, I'd have been knocking on his door. I was in a friendly gesture, of course, but he'd have been very friendly in the sense, honestly, I want to talk to you about what happened the other night. You can explain yourself. And then, then, and then see what happened. And film me, of course, to show that someone's actions. How can you insulate yourself from that? Is it impossible? You just have to not do events like open wine bars. Well, I went to a, a place in London. It was, it was a VIP. and was given a guest table and that in there with a pound of my own wine. Uh, who actually owns Cambridge Country Club. And the doorman recognised me when I come in, the head doorman, and put a doorman with me. So I don't need a doorman to look after me. Well, I do. Because that is a prime example where the doorman would have gone, hey, listen, mate, behave yourself, and I'd have gone and, and left it. So you do need doorman with you to look after you, to stop other people's. I've had people come up to me when I'm in Brighouse, is a place up in Yorkshire, tell me they'd collected a debt that day, loves violence, got hit over the head with a baseball bat, smashed them all around the head. He said, I love violence, I've blown all my knuckles still. I said, it don't interest me, mate. I said, I've seen that much of it. It don't interest me. I said, I don't want to talk about it. So having someone to look after you and, and steer clear of those uh, type of conversations, I've taken on board. But it's almost like you're a magnet for those people because of your past. Yeah, you are. And I'll probably, I have, to, I have to justify that with the conversations I have about the violence. And people think I like it. Well, I don't like violence. I was just pretty good at it many years ago. Um... I can still hold my hands up now to a degree, but it's not something I condone. And I do prefer, I'm always like, oh, come on, we really got to like that. You know, I don't look for violence. People say Kevin then looks for it. He goes out, he's yes, please, no thank you, and he's quiet. But I've got a very fast temper. Kevin, you must have hours and hours and hours of stories, and I really appreciate your candor today. And I've just sat here absolutely mesmerised, and I know there's going to be loads more stories coming out for the first time at Cambridge Country Club on February 23rd. Why should people come to Cambridge on February 23rd, Kevin? You're going to have the likes of Kenny Collins there, Matt Legg. Let's watch that movie, the the uh, the robbery. I've never watched them because he's my friend and I know yeah. that the information on there is misinformation. There's a lot of stuff that isn't reported on there that is actual factual and they have to report Kenny coming across Kenny because he drove past the Hatton Garden when he had to drive past that every day just for you lot who didn't know that and he wasn't caught by that car because that car wasn't registered in his name it registered someone else in Bristol but they let him say that that car took him back to Kenny but it never however there'd be people there that uh, the cars some of the cars from Banged Up you've got Nick Yaris who was on Death Row you've got uh, Sophie Wallace she's in the tribute band of, uh, that sings around the world, Fleetwood Mac, they get asked all around the world, and other people of that ilk. Tommy Morrison, he's coming, he's an investigative journalist, I'm sure there'll be people for him and against him, who would like to talk to him now, and many other people. It's going to be an excellent night, like Kenny Collins will be able to tell you how he became a burglar. He came, became a burglar because there was no roofs on the buildings at the time of the war, so you're climbing <laughs> over and helping yourself to stuff you need when you're hungry. So it'd be nice <laughs> to hear 
people's lifestyle, not just about the crime they've committed, how they've turned their lives around. And and some some other podcasters, criminologists, and so on and so forth. It's gonna be an excellent night. Q and A. There's two restaurants there, there's two big bars, and we're gonna have a knees up after. And shout out to Matt Legg as well, who's gonna be there. Matt Legg and Peter Fury, of course, let's have it right. Peter, he's great company, he's great to be interviewed, isn't he? So collectively, please get your your backsides down there. There's not many tickets. They are going, they, and most tickets sell out uh, the last two weeks before. But we're way over halfway now, and there's plenty of VIPs coming. So get down there. Ticket link is in the description box below this video. If you're listening on the audio platforms, Google Eventbrite, Kevin Lane and guests, and it'll come right up. And we hope to see some of you guys there. And I can't thank you enough, brother. Absolutely brilliant. Give us a hug, man. Yeah, nailed it. Nailed it. Delivered. Yeah, yeah, well done. Congratulations to Sean with his baby. Oh, thank you. Big, big Ziggy. Big Ziggy. Well, it's great. So, you've got, how long was that for, Sean? Bang on two hours. Was it really? Never. If you're looking for a gift, my new book, Sit Downs with Gangsters, is available worldwide on Amazon. We've interviewed over a thousand people now, and we selected 10 of the hardest hitting stories to go in this book. Each chapter features the story of one of our podcast guests. Those stories are Shane Taylor, Knife Maniac's Redemption, John Elite, Mafia Hitman for the Gambino Crime Family, Joey Barnett, 35 years in UK prison, Ian Blink McDonald, £6 million bank robber, Chet Sandu, Asian smuggler in Spanish Supermax, John Lawson, the hit team commander, David Macmillan, international smuggler's tie death row prison escape, John Abbott, San Quentin prison shootout and escape, Michael Francis, Colombo crime family capo portrayed in Goodfellas. And Wildman, English enforcer in Arizona prison. Link in description box on YouTube, available worldwide on Amazon. Also, my next book, Untouchable Jimmy Savile, is getting published in December 2023. So check that out as well. It will be available worldwide on Amazon. Thank you for listening. Cheers.